0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. I am Matt, and this is my co-host, Chris. Today, we talk about the process of
1: setting up an adventure as a game master.
0: And as always, we're going to focus in on the role-play and try to get better at it together.
1: But first, oh my god, you guys, do we have a treat for you. We have a very special guest today. You know him as creator and amazing DM for Dimension 20, the College Humor, the actual play show. He hosts Adventuring Academy, a podcast about all things tabletop, where he and his guests share incredible insight about playing and running games. He also performed in many College Humor sketches, and he made many memorable appearances in Actually and Game Changer. He is the patron of all RPG comedy, Brennan Lee Mulligan. Oh
2: my lord, Christian, thank you. What what a delightful intro. Oh my god, I feel very humbled and appreciative. What fine hosts we have here. Thank you for having me on the program.
0: Our pleasure, Ben. Super excited. Chris didn't practice that intro 20
1: years. No, not at all. Not just before you you, you logged in. First time,
2: totally improv, right? Right off the dome, that's improv. And hey, baby, that's what we're here to talk about, the improvisational skills of a GM. Exactly.
1: Exactly, exactly
2: uh incredible uh well thank you so much for having me on this is like a super fun topic to talk about like the the setting up of adventures right um yeah we
1: figured we we hesitated talking about comedy talking about improv and we figured let's try to take something that might put everything together you know
0: and and honestly brennan you know you run a lot of different games in a lot of different worlds with a lot of different settings and each of them kind of has their own feel their own adventure to them so that's that's kind of where we took that inspiration for today's episode to really dig into that creative process behind how you do what you do um
2: yeah wow well thank you for that and i definitely i take your point as well because obviously there's a a huge pantheon of incredible gms out there some of which i have the the privilege you know brian murphy who's the dm for nadpod is is a player on dimension 20 he's one of the best out there doing this Um, But it is true that sort of because Dimension 20 is an anthology show and we have shorter seasons, one of the weird byproducts of doing shorter condensed seasons that you wouldn't necessarily think by virtue of them being shorter is that you do beginnings and endings a lot more. You know, there's no there's no hundred episodes of a story where you have, you know. 80, 90, 95 or whatever episodes that can be considered like your big second act. It's like, there's a lot of beginnings and a lot of endings. Um, So yeah, I have- you know and and to to kick us off in terms of talking about it i feel like when you do a lot of beginnings and endings you see how much those two things are related right in in writing you call it book ending but there is so much of like how you begin a campaign you want to echo whatever that beginning is in the ending to some degree you want them to reflect each other uh so that's a very very
1: fun thing um a great point right there just to like start right away right like that that's cool and <laughs> It's, it's great to, to, to see already great insight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, let's let's try to, like, what we do here, we usually try to make sure we know what we're talking about. We both have math degrees, and that's kind of the first part of anything. So what's an adventure? Uh, I mean, we kind of said it right away, and you, you said it. Like, adventure is a great example of that is basically one of your seasons. I 20 Escape from the Blood Keep would be one adventure. Parts of Leviathan, Leviathan would be another one. Uh, so maybe we can just give a quick what is it? I'll, I'll throw it the map here uh, so we start that up and then maybe Brandon you can jump in to whatever yeah. you want to add to this. And I,
0: I really like what Brandon said about having starts and ends and how you know each one is this self-contained narrative basically is what, and, and I think that that's going to be my first, as I spitball this definition of what an adventure is, it's going to be this self-contained narrative using what Brennan's saying, there's going to be a beginning, there's going to be an end, there's going to be a middle in there somewhere by virtue of all this. But yeah, it's, it's, and it can be, honestly, it can be as long and as short as, as, or as short as you want it to be, right?
1: Yeah, and it can be, I guess, intertwined with other things. I was, I'm actually wondering, Brennan, do you have a hard time sometimes kind of sticking, like staying inside one adventure bubble and not like going around or is that not a challenge you face?
2: So there's a really interesting challenge here, right? And number one the challenge that that all GMs face is that the medium is fundamentally improvisational, right? You're collaborating with people that aren't allowed to know what the plan is, right? So you're <laughs> trying to build this thing. You know, it's like it's like you're trying to build a sandcastle with your six friends who are all blindfolded. And there's a degree of like, okay, you guys can't really know what I'm planning because that's half the fun is the surprise. But also, so there's a very it's a very weird intuition that you have to build up, and I think that what's interesting is when we talk about an adventure, right? Um, we've found in Dimension Twenty how much that concept changes based on the length that you're going for, right? Um, it's why the term campaign exists so classically in D&D, which is that if you're really going to do what the, what the Holy Grail is for a lot of role players, which is like a multi-year, first level to 20th level campaign, you will definitely have multiple adventures, right? You would say, Absolutely. oh, well, there's, there's, you'll have multiple adventures that you go on. And that's why the term campaign even exists. And that I feel like is a whole different challenge for a dungeon master, which is can you take a full multi-year campaign and give it the feel of a cohesive narrative throughout multiple adventures? Um, the attitude we take in Dimension 20, which has these very short side quests that are only six episodes long, so usually about 12-ish hours of content. And then our full, our full seasons, which can be like 18 episodes and sometimes are closer to like 30, 30 plus hours of content. um, Those end up feeling very different. And having run a bunch of them now, we have our side quests, which aren't really, they're not really one shots because we do, it's two full days of recording. It's 12 hours or whatever. Um, But they really do feel, the difference between our side quests and our full campaigns, I often compare to a feature-length film and a season of a television show, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's you know, so our our full campaigns that are eighteen episodes long. Which again, when you compare that to Nadpod or Critical Role or the Adventure Zone, eighteen episodes is not that much. Especially because our episodes are only again about two hours long. But within that, what's so interesting about doing an adventure for the side quest is it gets to be so straightforward. If you're doing something that is 10 or 12 hours or less, you get to go, we're doing a heist, here's the heist, we're calling it Tiny Heist, boom, there you go. (laughs) Like, what's so funny is for our first two side quests that we had, which were Escape from the Blood Keep and Tiny Heist, I realized that um, both titles had verbs in them. What are we doing in Escape from the Blood Keep? We're escaping, we are going to escape. Right? That's what we're here to do. What are you doing in tiny? Right? What are you doing in tiny heist? It's a heist. That's the whole deal. The whole deal is one heist. And those stories are very fun and impactful, but you can feel as the narrative develops, how focused they are, which is not a good or a bad thing. It just is a measurement of this is urgent. It's going to be resolved for bad or for good quickly when you're doing an adventure in the more medium length full seasons, where it is, you know, they're, they're not, they're not epic. They're 18 episodes, but they are like a season of television. They are like sort of ongoing. You have that very interesting beginning of, even if we're doing a single adventure, you have to have um, the base and the treble there kind of, you have to have the thing of like, yes, here are the high notes we're hitting in this chapter of this story, but I also have to have this sub, the the, the, the sort of like the bass playing underneath it that is going to link this to the next chapter, right? So you have these mini chapters of this larger, fully engaged story. Um, Mm -hmm. So that can be really interesting of like what makes an adventure self-contained, beginning, middle, end. And I think that you need to look for, as you're beginning them, yes, every adventure is self-contained, but is this adventure supposed to be a chapter in a longer story, or is it fully
1: standalone? 100%, 100%. That's, that's I, I love it, and I, I can echo that for sure. And I think, I think when you talk about those small, um, I guess they, they almost become little quests inside that main adventure, uh, then even though your adventure is focused, you can have quests that if you have, again, like you said, a, I guess medium length, uh, adventure that the those smaller quests can be brought up or removed to, to adjust the length so uh, so that's great but i'd love to know for you uh i'm sure you did that many times and maybe even for a show that didn't come like finish i guess like come up to the light of day i don't know if that happened but like whenever you start and you have that blank page in front of you and you have to build an adventure you have to build the next one what what, what where goes your mind Like like where do you start? Do you start just with a concept or with your players? I really
2: tend to start first with um, the world. And by world, I often, more more than a history or anything else like that, it's often a genre it's like a vibe where you go talk to your friends and you're like what kind of st- what kind of story do we feel like telling do we want something dark and noir and full of smoke and tension do we want something really whimsical and absurd and over the top do we want something really funny and high octane do we want something action packed um, these kind of emotion emotions help to build a world but the truth is i don't really start planning an adventure until I know who the heroes are going to be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I I could, I could wax philosophical about this. uh, But to me, this, it's kind of like, this is a a bad analogy because I know nothing about sports, but it's almost (laughs) like in badminton or tennis or something like that, where there's the serve and it has to be returned before the mass release starts. For me, the process of the game before we can play is the, the DM serves up the world, says, here's here's the world. You know, like, you know, almost oh, yeah, like, keep... hit, yeah, hitting the to mix metaphors even more, hitting the key, like, <laughs> me, 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 like, here's the tone, here's the vibe, here's what we're in. The players see that vibe, see that genre and go, cool, here's the type of hero I want to be. And then I start thinking about plot and plot is kind of the last, the last thing. Cause I want to see, they're going to tell me who they want to be. And that's going to let me know what kind of adventure they want to go on.
0: Um, That's, that's super interesting to me, Brennan. And and I think it, it echoes a lot of the processes that, that I do, and I think Chris, that you've done in the past as well, um, and it actually makes me think about how there's also a significant difference between starting an adventure when it's a new world, when it's a new new setting, uh, for for instance, a new a new show, or even a new group of people playing in, in a world that's brand spank and new to them, or if you're taking existing content that people are already familiar with, they already understand the tone and setting. They already have characters that they're playing with and you're you're creating this next chapter, right? To me, the creative process is vastly different if you're starting from nothing. And I think in, in that instance, it, it sounds to me like my preferred method is to do exactly what you said, Brennan, where you kind of play ping pong until you guys, players and game master, reach the same level of understanding of what the game is going to be. Yeah. But if you already have that, I think the challenge, at least for me, has always been, I, I have a vague idea of what that big backdrop is, but how do I poke it through the adventure enough uh, to not give it away maybe all right away or, or things like that? So I wonder, Brennan, I, I know, you know, f- from from listening on Adventuring Academy, you have your home game that you've been playing for, what is it? I don't even know how long. Oh, at this 11
2: point. and a half years now, Ooh. yeah.
0: Uh, that's i'm jealous i'm so jealous i think two we're at three I, I think, half, think in my three yeah three hey
2: that's honestly if you clear a year you're in the top echelon i mean clearing a year is no small feat Like, i mean
0: when we
1: when we finished the first adventure like the first i guess like the length campaign what well, would we could be a campaign by itself we literally popped like i think it was champagne or like yeah, ooh, I we, think the bottle. we like all the guys were, like we did it guys <laughs> That is completely
2: deserved. The feeling of finishing a campaign is you know, f- finishing that adventure. My God, get the bubbly going, man! Hell yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, it's a, yeah. We have this very long home game going, mm-hmm. um, but I think that there is something that's been on my mind a lot recently. Is and again, here's here's a big caveat to all this, right? I can only give advice for how to play the game like I play it, which yeah. might not be the way for everybody who wants to play the game. So I'll first, like, like you're saying, you guys, you guys have the math background. We wanna define terms before <laughs> we jump in. For me, the point of d the point of role-playing games in general, from the player's perspective, is to have a first person experience of living in an epic story and that, what that means for me is when you're watching an epic story, when you're watching Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, you're consuming the story from that third-person perspective. And that's, that's amazing. And they're incredible stories, right? But when you're playing the game, you want to be able to feel the feelings that the protagonist would have been feeling throughout the different moments of their grand journey, right? Um, so what that means for me when you're beginning is I think there is a tendency from older iterations of the game and it's no it's this is no shade on anyone but it's just an observation that th- from the old school back when D was much more of a war game it was like the dungeon master is like i have a dungeon you show up with a character we don't e- i don't even need to know your character's name buddy just mm-hmm. show up Like there is that attitude that is really well and good for the aspect of the game that is playing a war game. Right. But I think the the feeling I feel is playing in a game like that would be like living through star Wars. If instead of being Luke Skywalker, I was just some guy. (laughs) And, (laughs) and that's a bit of a bummer. Like the idea of being in cloud city and Darth Vader goes like, Instead of going, oh, Luke, I am your father. He's like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't know if I can curse on you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> okay. But you know what I mean? If Darth Vader was like, who are you? And you're like, my name's Sam, I'm from Coruscant, um, I have a speeder, you know, I didn't really put a lot of thought into who I was. Like, why are you fighting the Empire? Honestly, just for experience and loot. That's really yeah. all I'm here for. <laughs> it's like, no, man, it's supposed to be your father. And he killed Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's ah, it's all personal and it's dramatic. And so for me, the, the reason it, it's it's these, it's like a, a zipper getting zipped together of like, I give you the world, you give me the heroes. I build the plot around them. Is that idea of, we're trying to build something united. I want my D&D campaign to be centered around heroes that kind of feel like, like in a lot of epic fantasy, it's like, oh, it had to be these heroes. It had to be Luke and Han and Leia. It had to be uh, uh, Frodo and Gandalf and Aragorn. Like these were the people that were meant to meet this fateful moment in their world's most epic story.
1: I love it. I love it. For, for me, actually, it's a little bit different. So I, I'm going to like try to, I don't, I don't want to say challenge that because I think it's probably the best way, but no, like, go for it. yeah. The way I, I, I do it is I also start with the world. I think we're on the same page for that. If, I mean, sometimes we, if you do it all improv, the, the coming up with the world can be done actually with the players. Sure. Uh, if you're, but, but let's say you have your world. And then uh, what I usually do is I try to think of, putting tension in the world. So something like uh, a war or uh, something like a shift of power or a big villain who's trying to do something. And then when I bring the players in and I bring their characters, we create the characters usually together so that it's like it makes sense. And then I don't tell them what the plot is because I don't really know what they're gonna do, but I know they're gonna have to interact with that dr- drama. And often the way I'm gonna tie the players in is whatever, if it's a big villain trying to do some, something evil, I play a lot of Warhammer, so it's kind of Cthulhu and fantasy world, so it's trying to bring a demon to the world. Then I'm going to try to link whatever the players are giving me to what the villain needs so that they always come in conflict. And that's, I think, how I achieve this feeling of it had to be them, because almost destiny put them in the path of the creature of the the villain, so
2: yeah i christian you're f- i f- uh, cosign a million percent. I think that is exactly on the money well, because n- number one, first of all, I think it's great that you encourage creating characters together, both for for a million for a million, mechanical reasons, like party balance, but also so that you can get a vibe of what other people are doing because other people 's choice like these people will all be interacting. So it's fun to get inspired by each other's character choices because that's going to be what continues into the game anyway. So why not start at the genesis like that? But number two, you, to me, you're, you talking about the central conflict or the central drama is so vital to what the world is, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is a hundred. And actually, I think that that, That might be as a crystallized piece of advice. Just you saying that of like, here's the villain, here's the conflict, here's the drama. I think some DMs are so worried that that is like railroading and it's not at all. It is the biggest gift to your players to be like, here's the big drama at the heart of this. And... I, and I'm, I'll criticize, like even my younger self as a DM, I tended to do this thing when I was showing a world where you give a list of facts. Like think about think about if like. Again, like if you were Tolkien and you were, it was a D&D game going on, if you were like, okay, here's Middle-earth, there are the dwarves in Erebor and the Lonely Mountain, and they do this, and there's the dwarves in Moria, and they mine Mithril, or you can be an elf from Lothlorien, but if you want to be from Rivendell, you can be, and it's just a list of places, here's where your character <laughs> would be from, which is a totally backwards way to do it when you should be like, listen. A long time ago, there was a god of darkness called Morgoth. His greatest lieutenant, Sauron, is still alive. And in the past amount of years, his followers have been searching for this artifact known as the One Ring. The age is darkening. His riders have been seen even farther afield. He is getting closer and closer to discovering it. If you do that, then all of a sudden all the players go oh, well, I want to be some, okay. And then you go, Mirkwood, Lothlorien, Moria, whatever. And everyone goes, I'm a hero who's who means to oppose Mordor this way. But I think that point of like, a world is not a static place. A world is really more understood as its history and the events leading up to this moment. I
1: totally agree with that. 100%, 100%. And I think, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head there where... I think maybe the the difference there is you put the villain part of the, in the world, so it's kind of like equates to the same thing, and I mm-hmm. and I love it. I, I see it more like as the the plot that I set up. But you're right; it's it's part of the world. Like it's you can't dissociate it from it. So it makes sense that the the, the players also can't. Right? There's a, there's I think that's
2: a totally great. You know, I actually had an old screenwriting professor who used to say the same thing because someone said you know there, there's a sort of um, this, this dichotomy in screenwriting of, of plot versus characters and characters versus plot. And I had one professor who just at a certain point just kind of blew up and was like, what is this dichotomy? <laughs> He's like, what, what are you talking about? What is a plot without characters? Who, who are the people doing things? What is being done? And simultaneously, what is a character without plot? How can we understand who someone is if we don't know what they're doing, so it's just you know it's this whole thing of basically saying like verb and noun, plot and world, they are one united whole. You can't have a sentence without a verb and a noun. You can't have a campaign without a plot and a world, and they all they they are completely symbiotically intertwined. It would be impossible to pull them apart from each other.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and something that's fantastic. In, in, in that symbiotic relationship is I feel like they drive each other forward in the context of a role-playing game. So, you know, as, like you're saying, Brennan, as a player, you're coming with this objective to live an experience as, as somebody else, um, whether it be a wizard or a, someone with a, a raging big broadsword and you're raging and doing all that stuff uh, as, as a berserker of some kind. But the, the beauty of the game is that that character gets to evolve as the adventures. That they face challenge them yes and they create objectives based on those they based on their live their characters lived experience and it just kind of creates this circle that perpetuates the whole thing forward um mm-hmm. and i've i've yet to find a medium that does it better than than role-playing games i don't i mean Maybe, maybe like Larping. Or I, I don't have any experience Larping, but maybe, maybe that—that's another place where this kind of Brennan like...
1: definitely has experience there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I definitely do have experience Larping. Yeah. But I think you're absolutely right that one of the great things about a role-playing game, because what the players—I think—like you're like you're 100 right, Matt, about because the people are seeking this subjective experience one of the things that cannot happen in a role-playing game that kind of can happen in traditional like legacy media is stuff that's really artificial or out of character. Like you're ever watching it, you know, you watch a TV show and you're like, why are they doing this? What does this have to do with anything? And it's like, well... The reason, that, Yeah, the reason they're doing it is the writers needed to write something and they were totally uninspired. Maybe a <laughs> lot of them want different jobs now. They've given up on the show. Maybe two of them, the two main showrunners got hired by Star Wars and they were tired of making <laughs> Game of Thrones. And so they just said, screw it. We'll do six more episodes. Get some hot takes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But, is that where Crown I mean? of Candy came from?
2: Is Honestly, like a, a little bit. Of- it was a little bit of, feel, there was a little bit of a feeling of like, what did you do? Like, <laughs> you can't have, well, spoilers, like those, those, you know, for, I, listen, if you liked the last season of Game of Thrones, more power to you. I'm glad you found joy in it. For a lot of fans of the show, I just want to point out that not only George R.R. R. Martin, but HBO asked for a 10 episode season six so Mm -hmm. four additional episodes and a season seven another 10 episodes they so they everybody said let's make it 20 episodes and the two creators were like actually how about six we have got to (laughs) dip
0: it's the best you're gonna get six best you're gonna get we're Um, going guys so that's that's what's happening
2: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do one of the major battles in pitch blackness.
1: Good oh luck. My oh
0: my god, it oh my hurts god. me just
1: hearing you say it. I remember exactly <laughs> where I was, and I was like, "What is happening?" It's just the TV. I was in the home, and no, it's just <laughs> uh, sitting there, like, "What
2: the hell is going on?" <laughs> Did uh, you the this uh, down? What's going what's, on? <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, exactly. No, truly, um, but uh, uh, so so. In any case, all of that is to say that, like um uh, but that yeah crown did partially come from that but uh, uh within that idea uh, uh sorry I've totally space matt you were talking about yeah, yeah. i mean i got can't... so mad about game of thrones <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> the passion just um yeah ah! i mean how characters right you, you, a character and the adventure they feed off of each other to allow your character to evolve and then yes. as a game master you take that character's evolution to to make the next adventure and you just kind of keep pushing it
2: forward. That's the great thing. I remember what I was saying, which is that it's very hard in in a game because the players are trying to have that subjective experience. You will see when things aren't working because the creators are also the audience. So you have this great moment of the PCs are always going to do what their characters would do because that's their only job is Mm -hmm. to be authentic. So you end up having this natural system in these games to pursue true character and to have character and, and plot feed off each other because just like an improvisation you're watching in real time where their interest is going so as a dungeon master one of the best things you can do is you know it's almost like if if the actors on set were the focus group raiding the episode where it's that thing of okay i have this whole thing planned about this this cult this like in the infernal cult yada 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 and your pcs get to the city and they're in the tavern and just for flavor you have these pirates and have a pirate fight there and all of a sudden your player's are like we want to join that pirate's crew and you go <laughs> uh okay this is a pirate game now and you
0: go, <laughs> you just roll with the punches right yeah um, for sure and, and- brendan um, if, if I may, mm-hmm. that's something that I find to be actually kind of challenging to deal with as a game master, especially if you had your heart set on something, you had your heart set on a, a, a specific adventure. And obviously, like you said, all the caveats, you, you have the session zero, you talk it out with everybody, but sometimes these things still happen. And it, it brings me to a, a question that I kind of wanted to ask you, and it was about player input, specifically Not only on like the things that they're interested in in the game, but some game masters allow players to to world build outside of their character. Maybe maybe a hometown that they lived in, maybe a character that an NPC that they know very well. And you know, in your experience, whether it be on a Dimension Twenty or in your your home game, how much of their input do you do you allow, and do you have kind of tricks for being more flexible that that maybe can still allow you to get the adventure you want uh, to be presented, but at the same time, allowing everybody to have their fair say in the game. This is a great point,
2: and it gets to, to an issue of whether this boundary of, like, what is what is the the prerogative and right of the player to determine? What is the prerogative and right of the DM to determine? Most of the people I play with come from an improv background in which this act called gifting which in improv means I make something true about your character so we're in an improv scene and I'm and I go like hey man look I know you have a short temper right so we're all all already used to this idea and then you're like I don't have a short temper get the hell out (laughs) of you know you and you accept the gift you make it true right so we're already very comfortable with the idea of kind of simultaneously feeding each other and also grabbing stuff off of other people's plates and there's a little bit more flexibility there
0: Mm -hmm.
2: now that being said obviously you can't go too far with that but i think rather than those being definitive boundaries I, i the way i look at that more is it's an it's a really handy division of labor it's not this it's in other words it's not this idea of like I'm gonna paint the living room. You're gonna go paint the bathroom. We are never gonna go in each other's rooms, but rather like, hey, mostly I'm gonna stay in here and you're gonna stay in there. Just cause that's the, the best and easiest way to tell the story. But if you need another can of paint, I'm gonna come in and bring it to you. And if, if you need something out here, I'm gonna come. It's not It's not this like hard and fast boundary of like, you're never gonna tell me anything about my player character and I'm never gonna do any world building because I actually think that that's an impossible line to police after a certain point. For example, yes, it would be wild if I was running a scene in a game of d and and one of the player characters, and I described the villain showing up and one of the PCs was like, oh my God, that's my old best friend from college. And I was like, what? <laughs> the, the, Why are you wearing a skirt? Why are you wearing a skirt? And it's like, oh, the serpent emperor just likes the feel of the airflow. It's hot out. (laughs) Give me a rest, right? But the idea, and conversely, uh, I think that when we did the Unsleeping City and we had the two older adventurers that had lived in the city for a long time, um, I was like, feel free to improvise facts about the city because it won't make sense if your character isn't able to speak with authority in the moment about the city they've lived in for 50 years. Um, We had another character. I had a character that was an urban druid. It was like a city druid in a home game. And the character literally had a magical ability that they knew everybody, right? And there was this thing where, you know, it was like they they would randomly show up in places and would just know people. Um, There are elements of and especially too of like if a character is coming from like a culture or something like that and uh let's say you have a character who's a cleric are you really going to not let that cleric improvise prayers or doctrines of their church like how hard is that going to be if they're like giving last rites to somebody and they're like May the spirits guide you to your final resting place.
1: And well, usually, d- it's not they don't venerate spirit, Brandon. No, it's
0: not
2: spirit. It's not about
1: spirit. It's it's
2: yeah, exactly. actually a
1: metaphysic. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. You'd be like, "Come on, give it a rest." So, but I think that those are good discussions to have. Of and again, it's not about these like hard boundaries but again it's about division of labor it's saying like hey you are really excited about your cleric's religion i'm gonna let you do some world building about the metaphysics and maybe you you say i'm gonna i'm gonna still take care of the clergy of this church like who the other priests are what they're doing in the world because those are npcs but i'm actually gonna yes and you in what you say about what's going on um and I think that sometimes goes the other way around as well, where a dungeon mask, because for, for example, it's like, we never tell a player character, uh, we never make a decision for a player character or remove their agency. However, there is a weird thing of describing a character's subconscious. When you're describing the result of an insight check, you kind of are telling a character how they feel to some degree. Mm -hmm. If a character is dreaming and you're narrating that dream, you're literally narrating that character's subconscious mind, right? So there is always some fluidity here. And I think as long as you're being respectful and kind of having that communication about who's going to do what jobs in world building, it gets a lot
1: easier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love that i I think i think yeah for me it's kind of like a spectrum and we do a lot of spectrum on this show and like i i I started when we started like i don't know this campaign that i'm talking about before like three years ago i guess i was really like into my world warhammer and it's uh like i i I know the lore and i'm trying not to have anything change because i wanted to be representing of that world and and the more and more i play i enjoy kind of getting the the cursor to the improv to a point where i actually had the idea uh not too long ago to have a game where the game was only player input and that way and that's kind of weird that's kind of weird it it, I it's, love it, it. it was a it, it was an exercise exactly to, i like to do whatever i'm comfortable with let's do the opposite for like a couple of games uh, so, in, not in my campaign, because I wouldn't do that in my campaign. Like, <laughs> we did a thing where there was actually no I'm game don't master. Don't touch my
0: baby. You can't don't touch, my, touch baby. my baby. No. This is, <laughs> yeah.
1: Everything is so, like, closely intertwined. Like, it's a net of neb. Don't don't play that. But, like, in the other one, to see how comfortable I would get, we'd have a game with four game masters, all knowing how to create plot and events and stuff like that, where we would see what happens if we only have player input would yeah. it make sense and it, it does was
0: surprising how <laughs> yeah it was surprising to play a game without a game master and i mean we were playing we weren't playing some some t some rpg system that uh, facilitated it either we, we were playing DD fifth edition on on roll 20 like to, to think that a game that is designed to have a game master could work just from player input was was really purely
1: improv right
2: I love that. I think that's great. And there's a, there's a, like you're saying, there are not only are there a lot of great systems out there that are designed to be GMless. Yeah. Even the ones that need GMs don't always need them if you're playing with people that you feel comfortable sharing that responsibility with. And I would say again, I, you know, you're talking to somebody who has done lots of not only improv comedy but actual just systemless RPG, just like true collaborative storytelling role-playing games. Um, and it's really, really fun. I think that the it's all about what kind of experience you are trying to chase, right? Because for me, what I love about GM-less games or about pure world-building games um, is that it taps into the part I like about improv or writing, which is raw creativity. And what's so funny is the thing I like about more classic PC and a dungeon master, and uh, those things is it's actually more of the experience I get in in more traditional acting, of it's not. In other words, I don't have to be a writer, I don't have to be creative, I can be fully immersed, right? I can be fully because there's there's a weird part of the of the PC experience that I love of like. No, I'm not a storyteller right now. Right Mm. now, I am trying to solve this puzzle. I'm trying to win this fight. And I think that's the gift that a dungeon master gives in that classical relationship mm-hmm. is even though it's totally collaborative, it is still the ceremony of opposition. It's that It's that play. It's, it's the same reason it's fun to wrestle with your friends. It's like, it's that idea of, yeah, there's opposition. Like I'm really trying to beat you right now, but obviously <laughs> we're all honoring each other, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that can be really, really gratifying. As well, in its own way, um, it's yeah. It's the whole spectrum of it is so good, and it's great that we have a vibrant ecosystem that gives you these different kinds of experiences.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if if we can permit the parentheses uh, to talk briefly about improv, if you're, if you're cool with that, Brennan. Uh, yeah, and Chris, of I'm going to go off the rails a little bit in terms of talking sure. about adventures, but I w- one thing that I've noticed quite often in our games, in our in our home games, is that. It takes a little bit of warming up to to kind of get the improv muscles flexed and going. And I don't know if I can ask you a pointed question here, Brennan, but Go for it. Are, are there are there uh, improv games or warm up exercises that you find to be especially conducive to enabling role playing and improvisation in a in a game in a tabletop RPG?
2: Yes, there are. and But you know what's a, what's a funny thing that I'll actually say here? There, there are a million great short-form games. There's almost no game, improv-wise, whether it's like Whose Line Is It Anyway or whatever, that I couldn't recommend because I think they would all help. And, the, and I'm not saying that as a cop-out answer. The reason I'm saying that is fundamentally I think what we're all fighting at the end of the day is Rust. It's like Rust... It's, it's a little bit of discomfort. Inertia. Look, inertia yeah, exactly. That's the perfect <laughs> word for it. And, and because, look, I've been playing this game since I was 10 years old. I've done a lot of playing this game. Every time I start a new campaign with new people, it's a little bit awkward a little (laughs) bit awkward that's okay you're sitting at a coffee table in your apartment with your friends you got like a bowl of doritos and you're like we are epic heroes and you're like no we're not we're on a couch right now (laughs) like you can feel it's hard you have to like push through the awkwardness um the only the only thing i can say as a dungeon master is that um is honestly something that's very very well served by me from improv and also a lot of like working with kids which I've done a lot both in theater and stuff like that is as a dungeon master if I want people to come out of their shell it look dungeon masters are people too it's like it shouldn't fall on the dungeon master to be you know so responsible for everyone's good time however just by virtue of being the guy behind the screen, just by virtue of being the person who is ostensibly in this kind of—again, you're not a leader, but you are like an MC, right? You are that person who's conducting the events. You're the one asking for initiative to be rolled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of pushing. You're you're directing the story. You're directing the story. You're directing, yeah. So, because of that position, it is, I think, a little bit incumbent on you to you put the pie on your own face first. Like, make an ass of yourself. As the game starts, you do, if you want people to do silly voices, they're not gonna do it if you're not doing it. If you want people to feel real feelings, they're not gonna do it if you're not doing it. You're the one with the conductor's baton that you're tapping and getting, getting everyone in key together, right? All in the same key. Like, it's your job to do those things first. So when I start a game, especially if it's session one of a new campaign, I will play music. I'll do like a soundtrack of like video game music or adventure music, Lord of the Rings soundtrack, whatever. Play something to set the tone, light a candle if you need to, make sure people are comfortable. And when that first scene starts, make sure if you want it to feel epic, it's cause you know, everyone can do it whatever way they want to. But if you're trying to get something, don't be a hypocrite, get there first. If you want it to feel epic rather than going, uh, okay, so we're gonna start our session in the, this village. The name of the village is this. You go, an autumn wind blows through an ancient forest. You go like, you know, if you want to, if you want to snap someone into character, I remember uh, playing with some of Lou Wilson's friends who, uh, for the first time as they were playing, weren't actors, they didn't have that background. So I knew and Lou was like, they're not going to have an easy time getting into the role playing aspect. And so there was a guy who made this wonderful little halfling lawful good cleric. And I could just tell that, you know, there's like a little bit of shyness there. And one of the ways you can combat shyness is, again, feel a big feeling yourself. So it was him on the door, on the threshold of his family home. And I narrated that and I said, and your mother goes, please, like, oh, don't go on a big dangerous adventure. Just stay home. I don't want you to go. And this big emotion. And immediately he went, mom, mom, it's going to be
1: okay. You don't need to worry about And it, like, got him role playing. Um, yeah, because it's harder, it's harder for the person to be. Oh, well, I'll tell that to my mom, right? Because you're playing the mom. Yeah, exactly. Say it to me, right? And again,
2: one of the things is this. It's, I think, Christian, actually, inertia is the perfect word because inertia makes it hard for a stopped thing to start, but it also is hard for a started thing to stop. So if you're there putting the motion up there, people are, for the most part, will want to mirror you. They will want to give back the energy they're seeing. So that's my biggest piece of advice in terms of improv warmups is almost any improv, a voice, a tone, a big action, there's almost no way you can go wrong. It's really just whatever the behavior is you wanna see at your table, you need to be the one to make an ass out of yourself and be vulnerable <laughs> and do that first, because then Hell people yeah. will start
1: to match you. Hell yeah, for sure. That's yeah. I mean, it, it makes total sense. I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I we, we tossed with that thing, me and Matt at our table and we we, we found different ways of doing it. But now that you say it I'm like, yeah, obviously. And for us, because we're all, like, friends, (laughs) I guess it wouldn't be, like, I I don't think the burden would necessarily be on the Game Master, but we would have to actually say, like, who's filling up the starting this and then getting the ball rolling? Uh, But, yeah, with new players, for sure, you you, you have the one, you have to be the one doing it. Hi there. Sorry to interrupt this interesting discussion. Um, uh, We're having a blast with Brennan, but... uh, because we're having such a blast, the discussion actually ended up being longer than we thought. So we're going to split this in two.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be continued on next week. So I hope you guys uh, join us again next week to listen to the rest of the, the episode. Uh, until then, we'd encourage you to go check out Brennan and the rest of his amazing content. You can do so by looking up Dimension 20, uh, particularly his latest show, uh, they're currently halfway through the second season of the unsleeping city you can, this watch- you can
1: find on dropout uh there's also pirates of leviathan and there's a couple of season there that can only be seen right now on dropout if you just want to look at his stuff fast stuff is also on youtube look up dimension 20. Uh, i personally recommend if you're a fan of lord of the ring go see escape from the blood keep it's a blast uh, it's very it's it's edited so it's uh, nice condensed content and I'm sure you're gonna love it.
0: Yeah, and if you guys like listening to conversations like ours, you know, tabletop theory and deep dives and that kind of thing, Brennan also hosts a podcast or a vodcast called Adventuring Academy where he has celebrities and and guests join him for tabletop theory conversations. So that's that's a lot of fun. I'd encourage you to check that out as well.
1: Yeah, and if you want to check the whole Dropout thing, there's other thing on Dropout. There's uh, actually Game Changer, which I love, especially actually the episode with Brandon Lee Mulligan on it. Uh, There's possibly to do free trials. Uh, And also, I was going to say something, I don't remember, but there's a lot of good (laughs) stuff on on Dropout.tv. Yeah, and if uh, you you're can... into
0: the free stuff, Brennan has a bunch of his older content on YouTube. I don't know if you already said that, Chris, yeah, but go, go look for Dimension 20 on YouTube and you can go look at all the past seasons of his content there.
1: Yeah, and you can find Brennan on uh, Twitter at, at BrennanLM or on Instagram, uh, BrennanlyMolly.
0: Yes, and... and f- if you guys want to reach out to us, we'd also encourage you to do so. You can find us on Twitter. That's at role underscore play underscore chat.
1: Or we have an email. That's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com.
0: And I've been having a whole lot of fun on Twitter lately, Chris. I've, I mean, I've I've continuously been using Twitter as my fun little community of role-playing game stuff. Uh, I tried to come up with clever polls. The other day I tweeted out a, a poll about the correct pronunciation of the word uh, Wyver- Wyvern or Wyvern.
1: Wyvern, Wyvern. Yeah. Wyvern, Wyvern. It was, uh, it's, I mean, this is just a, I guess, I, I, what I like about your tweets is some are, feel superficial like this. And then people get passionate <laughs> about it. And there's like people be like, you are saying you're wrong. But everybody's very positive. So I think it's a great space. But sometimes there's actually like deep, uh, more like thoughtful, I guess, uh, questions or discussion that happen there. So it's a great, place uh i think twitter has a great uh, ttrpg community and you're definitely part of it i like to sometimes i participate but matt is is definitely um steering the ship and also raising the the, the sale
0: on this one <laughs> yeah so so come come find us over there um, and and I'd also encourage you if you enjoyed this episode to rate us positively on whatever podcasting service you're using, uh, whether that be giving us five stars on on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast, giving us a review. It really helps with our visibility of the show, or just to subscribe and like the like the show on whatever other podcasting platform you're using.
1: and if you if you like this kind of discussion, we have many more uh, worth. We're in the second season right now. Uh, Important to say these episodes are not sequential. You can watch, uh, listen to them in any order you wish, any subject. It's not dependent on what we said before. Sometimes we reference other things, but then you can go see. It's never essential to understanding what we're talking about. If you decide to go uh, listen to season one, just know that there's some there's been some format change in the sense that we've been experimenting a lot in season one. Season two, season two is very much uh, consolidated in this discussion. Really, I guess traditional podcast form. Um, yeah, I yeah.
0: I really like the format that we landed on in season two. But like you said, Chris, the 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 show is not sequential. So if there's a topic that you wanna, you you know you're particularly passionate about, I encourage you to go check our back catalog and and listen onto that particular episode
1: yeah and even in this discussion today with brennan uh well i guess the two weeks put together we mentioned the puffer fish moment we have an episode on that we talk uh brennan talks a, a bit about railroading having a bad rep we have a a, a good episode i think would be complementary of what brennan says in terms of not being a bad thing and how railroading can actually be used to give directions and and we have also discussions about player engagement, a lot of things that we kind of touched on with Brennan. Uh, we like to go like, deep dive in, in, in their own episode. And there's a lot more to come. We talk about role play tasks. That's probably going to be one in the future. We talk about an improv game, uh, like no GM game. We're going to talk about that in the future. So uh, stay tuned. And for next week, uh, to this, for the second part with Brennan.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoy the show, and let's call it a chat!